Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. This is Neil McMillan, inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics, Sundays at 8 on Otago Access Radio, 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. In reverting to Alert Level 1 this past week, New Zealand as a nation has achieved a measure of normality. Not normality as we've previously known it, but a new normality that is shaped by a vastly changed world. It affects us as individuals, how we relate to each other, how we work, how we transact business, and inevitably on the functions of government, both nationally and locally. So it's timely we should be speaking this week with His Worship the Mayor of Dunedin, Aaron Hawkins, who's in the studio. So welcome, Aaron, and thanks very much for joining us. Kia ora, Neil. Good to be here. Aaron, as Mayor, can we begin by asking how you coped with your official duties during the lockdown? <laughs> Uh, well, in some ways it was easier in, in, in lockdown. So the job is is in two parts really. One is doing the work of governing the city uh, and, and the, the business of council and uh, the other side of it is uh, doing events and, and public gatherings and openings and functions and those sorts of things. And of course, given that nobody was allowed to leave the house, uh, all of that uh, disappeared. Um, but we yeah we continued on uh, uh, at council through through lockdown. Eventually, we were given permission from government to be able to hold meetings uh, remotely by Zoom, which was helpful. So we could carry on um, and make you know the, the decisions still need to be made and, and work still needs to be done. But it was difficult. Um, mm. But but at least we had some mechanisms uh, to be able to hold, you know, we had our budget meeting, uh, our annual plan hearings remotely, a three-day long Zoom meeting, and and, um, the community were uh, very uh, patient with us and adapting to to new technologies and new ways of working. But, you know, we we kept going, and and the the main focus for us through that period was ensuring that all of our essential services, uh, you know, that the, the water network, um, rubbish collection, those sorts of things uh, continued through and, and, and we managed to, to make that happen and that was a great effort from the team. Mm-hmm. To get us through COVID-19, the, the government is spending literally billions of dollars mm-hmm. to support individuals, businesses and the economy and you yourself along with MPs and many senior public service staff have taken a cut in salary. The Dunedin City Council has established a fund to help provide assistance. How much is that and what's that for? So during the budget meetings, we allocated $950,000 into next year's budget specifically targeted towards uh, economic development and uh, social well-being objectives because that's clearly where the greatest need is uh, in the short term, um, you know, supporting our, our local economy and looking after people who are, who are doing it tough. Uh, we didn't make any decisions about 
what exactly that would look like. So uh, to coming to the council meeting at the end of June, there'll be options from staff around where that might go. So it might be looking at rates relief options or additional funding for grants for community groups because we know that you know businesses are doing it tough but also a lot of our not-for-profits are because you know, anyone who relies on donations is struggling because when people are doing it tough mm. those are the kinds of things that people stop doing first which, which makes sense so uh, we've got to be mindful of making sure that um, you know we look after uh, all of those people uh, t- to the best that we can with the resources that we have. Hmm. Rates, some councils have reduced their proposed increase in rates. and In fact, I think the, the regional council has decided to dip into its reserves as an alternative. What about the Dunedin City Council? Uh, well, our draft uh, draft annual plan uh, had a rates, uh, included a rates rise of 6.5%. Uh, and the long-term plan uh, would have been 4.1, uh, but we uh, it ended up being higher than that, largely due to uh, unexpected uh, an unexpected reduction in revenue coming through uh, through the Green Island landfill. So that's how it ended up at 6.5. And uh, the beginning of May, it became obvious to us that uh, we needed to relook at our budget in light of the the current situation because this is going to impact both on our revenue and our expenditure because. You know, our, our travel budget is less necessary than it perhaps otherwise would have been. And so staff came back to the budget meeting with a, a revised budget. Uh, it got our, the rates uh, rise from 6.5% down to 4.1%. Um, significant operating savings that mean that while it will be difficult in some, and stressful in some areas, we will be able to maintain the work mm. that, we, that we had set out to do, which I think is, is important. Uh, and, uh, and, it's, and it's made it easier for, uh, for our community also, um, we reduced uh, the community services targeted rate from $240 uh, per household to $100 per household because we know that uh, flat taxes, where everyone pays the same, disproportionately affect people on lower incomes. So that was another way that we could um, uh, mitigate the, the increases in a way that benefit the people who, mm. who are struggling the most. In terms of revising its priorities, is that concluded or is it still open? Uh, it wasn't so much a revision of priorities as it was a revision of budgets. So, you know, what what you know, each department was sent away and, and asked to look at how they could do what they were doing more efficiently, which is you know what we've been doing uh, over the last ten mm. years. And there's only so much uh, fat you can uh, you, you can cut out before you start cutting off the. You know, you can only tighten your belt so far before the circulation starts to go. Um, so that's so that's where that's at. And I mean, and now that the budgets have been set, I guess the the task for for both for staff and for us is well, are, are the things that we were focusing on within those budgets still the most urgent things? So, in economic development, for example, um, is the focus on Project China still the most urgent thing, given that it's probably going to be a while before anyone can mm-hmm. go to and from Shanghai and, and our sister city relationships? And should we be focusing more or rebalancing our economic development efforts in favour of you know, trying to you know, support um, new industries growing locally. So those are the kinds of conversations that we can have now um, once we've signed off on on the budgets. Mm. Let's look at the Octagon experience and the George Street experiment, if I may use that term. Uh, It's cost, well, a quarter of a million dollars so far for that kind of work. Were you surprised at the level of opposition that was expressed? 
Uh, I think it's important to note that those two th- uh, those two things, and I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to in George Street the, the most recent mm-hmm. uh, safer streets work. So those those two things were setting out to do very to achieve different outcomes. So the Octagon uh, uh, experience was about um, you know, rethinking how we can use uh, our city centre and our public space in, in more people friendly ways, and attracting different people into the city centre and getting people to spend time there rather than pass through. Uh, the safer streets work was specifically around uh, a response to COVID nineteen, and that uh, we knew that as we got to alert level two, it was likely that shops would would be able to reopen, but we would still need people or still be asking people to keep physically distant from each other, and in areas where you have quite narrow footpaths, but people still need to be two metres apart mm-hmm. from each other, that was problematic. Um, we didn't know at that time how long Alert Level 2 was going to go for. Uh, we didn't know uh, whether or not uh, anxiety among the public around physical distancing was going to be a, a huge barrier to them returning to the city centre. Uh, so it was a, a precautionary uh, approach of ours to try and create a, a, an, an, an environment along George Street where people could pedestrians could use uh, the, the roadway as well uh, and that seemed like a less contentious option than mm-hmm. taking all the car parking out and widening the footpaths which would have been the other obvious option. Uh, yeah. it, t- it turns out it, d- it probably wasn't necessary. I mean the la- in the last two weeks and that's probably, I mean when, when we got to having zero active cases in the city and in the southern district I think it became more difficult to get people to be taking to adhering strictly to the guidelines, and you'd see people mm-hmm. hugging in the streets and, and shaking hands and things. Um, but that project, I mean, the overall budget we gave to that project was forty thousand dollars. We spent twenty five thousand of that, and NZTA paid ninety percent of that. So the council expense was around two and a half thousand dollars, which seemed like a, a a small investment in a precautionary principle in a way that. You know, just if people we wanted to encourage people back to the city centre safely, and and that was a way of giving them another option to give mm-hmm. them a, an additional level of security around that. Um, the I mean, the free parking in the city centre was far more expensive, but attracted far less attention. And the foregone revenue of that is around one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars a week, probably at this point, which is not insignificant. Uh, and that will carry on through until the end of June. Mm-hmm. So metered parking charges come back in on the first of July. Mm-hmm. But was I surprised by the reaction? I'm not surprised that there was a reaction. Um, anytime you try, anytime you suggest doing anything in a space as contested as your city centre, you're going to get a response. Um, I was surprised at how visceral the reaction was, given that all we were doing was asking people to drive a bit slower and um, and be mindful of other people and painted some dots on the road. It didn't seem like a radical proposal, but. You know, at the beginning of this, when I first got into this line of work, I remember someone telling me that the smaller the amount of money involved, the mm-hmm. longer and more uh, robust the debate <laughs> might be. And this <laughs> is an example of that. The, the plan for altering the streetscape, $60 million, but there was a cheaper alternative, $35 million. Has the council thought of looking at that in this time of constraint? Uh, well, the, the budget for that for the George Street work, the, for the permanent work isn't $60 million, it's um, $28 million. Uh, and of that, uh, we would have to spend $12 million reinstating the road for, after we dig up and replace the 150-year-old water infrastructure. So the, so all of the, the water mains are, are being dug up and replaced, or a lot of them are, uh, and it would cost 
I think about $12 million is the estimate f- to reinstate the status quo from before that work. So the the additional cost is only $16 million uh, uh, to take advantage of that opportunity to, to build something that is um, – that is more attractive as a destination that is um, uh, uh, that creates a, a city centre that people want to spend time in rather than driving through, and that's not a uh, and that is you know that's debt funded so we pay that off over uh, over years. Uh, so the the even if we were to to not take advantage of that opportunity and to stop that work. The the impact on our annual budgets, which is what translates to the impact on your rates bill and my rates bill, would be marginal. So I think for the, I think the the benefit of doing the work and creating jobs out of doing that work, and you know this is when it's very Keynesian of me. I understand that, but this is I mean my view is that this is exactly when local government and central government should be investing in projects that mm. create mm. jobs and keep money circulating in the local economy because. Mm. This is what we need to be doing <laughs> right now. You, you personally are interest, interested in getting more people onto buses. In fact, there have been talk about running a, perhaps a loop bus system mm. in the city, our free buses or something, and yet the regional council runs the buses. Has there been any discussion with the regional council on this kind of thing? Yeah, I'm very supportive of, of um, making it easier and, and more affordable for people to to take public transport or you know, to active transport, walking and biking. Uh, buses currently are free, <laughs> which is which is great because the the regional council are changing their their ticketing system, uh, and they are uh, they've they, they will reintroduce a f- uh, fares in mid August, and they're looking at a trial of uh, a flat fare model like they've done in Queenstown for. Two dollar fares, which is a positive. Although the implications of that are that some people in the city will be will end up paying more for their trips, which seems somewhat counterintuitive. So um, we're on. We we have active and ongoing conversations with them around the the bus system because, you know, as you say, they currently run it, but our community mm. and our residents have uh, have have a desire to be more ambitious than the regional council historically has been. So it's a it's a welcome step in the right direction. Mm. Uh, I'd like to work with them to push that. Further, if we can, because you know, when we, we, it's a there's a huge opportunity for uh, for Dunedin and, and encouraging greater use of of our bus service. Mm. Listen, we're speaking with the mayor of Dunedin, Aaron Hawkins. Aaron, the, the waterfront development plan has been put on hold. Uh, it was to have received almost twenty million from the provincial growth fund. Has this been accepted by the other partners in the venture? Yeah, there, there's a there's a. Um, it was a partnership group. Yeah, that's right. Mm. There's there's a fairly broad understanding that, you know, the, the the waterfront project was always predicated on doing the infrastructure work so that private development could occur on top of that. Whether it's you know fixing the wharves so that the university could build a facility there, or mm. uh, doing the work over and, and building a connection there so that a hotel development could occur there. Now, it seems fairly likely to me that those sorts of private investments are unlikely in the very short term, and it became you know it just became unpalatable. And I don't know if you, you might have seen the comments that Ian Taylor made, who has obviously been a very strong uh, um, advocate of this and has been very deeply involved in this work. Um, echoing those same comments. Look, 
you know, this is great. We still want to get on and do it, but now is probably not the right time. So we're not. It's not cancelling the project, just uh, just deferring it. And in the background, um, council will carry on doing the kind of consenting work and the pre- pre- preparatory work, so that when we get to um, more buoyant uh, economic times, we're kind of ready to go uh, when that uh, when that kind of an outward investment um, would materialise. So that's sort of where that's at at the moment. What's happened with the twenty million? Was it, it has it has has it been paid? No, it hasn't been. No, mm. so we hadn't uh, we hadn't signed the the terms and conditions agreement for that funding, uh, and so that's you know that came up uh, for mm-hmm. debate, and that was that that was at it was at that point when council decided, look, we can't we can't commit to doing this work before mm-hmm. the end of this calendar year uh, in good conscience. What, what about an uh, alternative application for funding for, say, the proposed reinstatement of a cable car or the track work necessary for the Tyree Gorge Railway? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the Cable Car Trust, as far as I'm aware, have applied for funding through the Provincial Growth Fund individually. I mean, these applications don't have to come from, from local authorities. Uh, when the call came out from government for... Uh, as they call shovel-ready projects, mm. uh, we put in uh, a list of, of proposals. And again, they asked for, you know, we want um, things that you can do before the end of the year. And we were very honest about that. We didn't put in a wish list of things that we thought we might be able to do in the next mm. few years. We looked through all of our work programs and thought, these are the things. So extending the the peninsula cycle path back out to its original end point, for example, uh, those those sorts of things. But but also, when we put in that submission uh, for all of the things that we could get done, we did add a, a list of things that because you know this recovery isn't a, a one year project, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to take two, three, five years. So we also put in a list of things that um, we could work up in the short, in the medium term, uh, with their resources available and. Um, looking at the the railway line and, and the future of the the Tyree Gorge connection and those sorts of things were included uh, on that because you know should that um, you know should that be a functioning railway it requires a, a, a degree of of maintenance um, and, and, and and repairs and maintenance yeah so all of those all of those things are options I mean it feels like at the moment <laughs> there's a new government fund being announced every day and so there's some for there's, there was another one this week specifically around uh, tourism, you know, tourism infrastructure projects, and again, you know, the the, the Dunedin Railways assets would be a, an example of that. And so, we're kind of scrambling a bit at the moment to keep up with where the where the checkbooks are mm. and, and 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 figuring out what the criteria are and trying to um, put our best foot forward as a city to get as much of that investment spent in Dunedin as we can. When would you hope to get some response? Well, we're in an election campaign now, Neil. So I would anticipate that we would get a response when it is most politically convenient uh, for the for the parties of government to announce it. Uh, Aurora Energy's proposal was to deal with deferred maintenance. People in Central Otago are, are, are rather angry. They'll be faced with bigger bills as a consequence of this because Aurora paid money to the city council rather than spent it on maintenance. In fact, Mayor Tim Cadogan has suggested on our program that the the city council should pay back what it took as a dividend. How do you respond to that? Uh, Well, I can't see that happening, to be fair. I mean, I think what's important to note about the Aurora reinvestment is that um, the, the... the power bills that people have been paying have been kept artificially low over this period because of that investment. So the way 
So it's a very regulated industry in that um, what you can charge your customers is directly related to how much work you are doing to uh, invest in your network. And so if you're not doing any, hmm. <laughs> not doing a lot of investment in maintaining that asset, then you don't have a lot of costs to pass on, which means that people pay lower power bills. And what's pa- I mean, the, the painful bit of this is that it's you know a reasonably sharp correction, mm-hmm. and that we're now doing vast amounts of work over the next you know five or ten years mm-hmm. to 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 do that. And the upshot of that is, and that you know that a lot of that majority of that is debt funded, but obviously also increases the value of the asset on the other side of the ledger. Uh, I think the um, the the biggest the better argument for areas like Central Otago and Queenstown Lakes is is around not the Commerce Commission process who will deal with that, but the, the electricity authority who determine so at the moment there are different rates um, in Central Otago, Queenstown Lakes and, and Dunedin City based mm. on um, you know how many customers they have over how 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 big a network the um, that serves them. And so um, that would that would be, and he's said as much in, a, in a, an opinion piece for stuff this week that he's going to focus on that. You know we, whether that should be flattened out rather than uh, charging them more, and that's probably the more interesting debate mm. to be had. Debt levels, we're continually assured that things are manageable, but debt levels are being stretched and Council of Andavis talks of debt being incurred by the council and its subsidiary companies approaching $1 billion. Is this open to dispute? Uh, well, you know, and there is a significant uh, asset renewal program in Aurora in particular that, that is that is that is big. It's a big deal. Um, but I think focusing on debt um, and ignoring the asset value that is on the other side of that ledger is is unhelpful mm. because you know the upshot of spe- of investing all that money is that you have a far greater value asset at the end of it, and it's um, and in the case of Aurora, you have a you know a natural uh, monopoly really, so it's it's not quite the same as a as a as a, uh, a private firm operating in a in an open in an open market. Um, and and um, you know, the, I mean, group debt is important, um, but I think it's I think conflating the council's debt and the company's debt isn't always uh, mm. particularly useful. I mean, the, the council debt at the moment is around a, not wildly off where where I where we started in two thousand where I started in two thousand and thirteen somewhere in two fifteen to twenty million, um, which is certainly manageable. Mm. Stadium debt. Uh, Malcolm Farry on our program here back in 2007 said the absolute maximum cost of the city would be $95 million. Yeah, I remember. But there's still debt of around $90 million. How much is the stadium costing each year? Oh, I couldn't answer that off the top mm. of my head. I mean, there's, I mean, there's two things, obviously, one in terms of servicing the, uh, the debt that's still owed on that facility and then, you know, the... The, the operational costs of it, and, and in recent years, it's broken even at, a, at an operational level. That's unlikely this year. Although, you know, during lockdown, we were pla- we were we written off the idea of even of having any major events mm-hmm. at, the, at the stadium in this calendar year, and we've got one, mm. um, you know, on, coming up on the fourth of of July, and we've had one uh, with the the Highlanders playing the the Chiefs um, uh, last weekend. So. You know, there's that's looking better than it might have been, um, but it's it was always, I think, the problem in a 
The problem with the debate around building the facility was that I don't know if it was um, particularly uh, honest about how much it was going to cost and, and where that money would come from. And, and it might sort of got to the same place, but you could have done that without causing quite such um, disharmony in your community. And people were quite rightly aggrieved at what they saw as a, as a breach of trust in that process. And, mm. But you can't, you can't ignore that in doing that. You know, it's, been, it's had significant um, uh, economic benefits uh, for the city. Although, and I, but again, I acknowledge that those aren't universally, you know, we're all paying for it, but we don't all benefit from it. Mm. So I, I appreciate that also. But, yeah. Finally, and we're running short on time, Asset sales. The council was talking about selling some assets. What's in mind? Who has? What's going on Who's, the talk? Who's talked about selling assets? Not me. No, it was on the ten-year plan. Talk about selling assets. Well, we. I mean, that's that's certainly. Uh, I mean, that's always an option. But right? these were assets in other centres. Oh, you're talking about commercial property? Yeah, commercial. Oh, yeah, what that's what I mean. Commercial. Yeah. Property. So I think. Yeah, it's it's. Because people say asset sales, and you kind of gravitate towards the companies we own. Uh, yeah, so the, I mean, we have a, a we have a, a commercial property portfolio, and we own property in other parts of the country. And you would have to ask whether strategically that's the the best use of that, and whether we should be, um, you know, commercial property managers in the first place, and and whether or not you might be better off um, liquidating those assets and putting it in the like putting that money in the Waipori fund to, to return dividends to council or otherwise. But, I mean, I'm not particularly tied to our commercial property portfolio, and, but if uh, but if we weren't to have it, you'd want it to sit in some other profit-generating hmm. uh, um, model so that it could continue to uh, do what it has done, which is offset the, the cost of, of rates. Yeah, but the council has commercial property assets in the city. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we own a shopping mall. Mm. Yeah, and, and my personal view is that we probably shouldn't be in the shopping mall business, uh, and, and would gladly. And there's been resolutions of council for us to sell Wall Street, um, and, and I don't see why we why we wouldn't do that. But the, the question then becomes, you know, what do you do with that? And so at the moment we make you know two million dollars a year, one point five million dollars a year on the on on Wall Street. So selling that. And using it to pay down debt, for example, that's a one-off hit. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to sell that and then reinvest it in something that was um, that could equally return uh, that same uh, that same um, dividend, if you like, to the to the city, mm-hmm. then that would be a more useful long-term strategy. Mayor Aaron Hawkins, we've <laughs> unfortunately run out of time. We could have kept going for an hour, <laughs> but there'll be other opportunities, and I look forward to catching up on some of the other issues we haven't been able to discuss today. So thanks very much indeed for your time. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Listeners, we've been speaking with the Needham's Mayor, Aaron Hawkins, and that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online, or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from www.oar. .org.nz Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store.
This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.